G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 AD, the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Stuart Beveridge from the Billy Graham Crisis Response Team. And uh, I heard uh, Stuart recently share a great message at our soup kitchen and was so impressed with his uh, heart to share the good news. And I was quite amazed at the number of areas he's been to uh, with the uh, response team. So I thought I'd get him on the radio and get to hear a bit of his story. So, Stuart, uh, tell us a bit about where you were born and raised, mate. G'day, Matt. I'm a transplanted Scot. I was born in uh, the United Kingdom, came out to Australia in 1970. And I've lived in Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales and uh, South Australia as well. Oh, fantastic, mate. You've been everywhere. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) And tell us a bit about your faith journey. Were you raised in a religious household? I was raised in a Christian household, mate, where people followed Jesus. And uh, we were in church nearly every weekend. We were a family that grew up serving uh, in camp ministry and Sunday school and church ministry and things like that. Uh, And that was my my beginning, like the, the... uh, the facts and the and the ideas and the truths of the Christian message were uh, embedded in my heart right from the earliest of ages. Um, but then I hit teenage years and, um, yeah, really I went through a, a phase of questioning, of challenging, of uh, even doubting uh, some of the things that, that I'd learned in those earlier years of my life and went on a bit of a journey that took me 10 years to get to the other end of. And, uh, you know, God was gracious to me in that. He uh, never turned his back on me. Uh, but I knew that there were many times where I walked far from him. Um, so there really had to come a point of, uh, of me just realising the, the size of the ditch that I dug for myself, you know, just how deep that hole was, and, um, and saying, God, I need help. And you know what? Jesus turned up in the middle of that hole, and, and he said to me, hey, I know the way out of here, but I want you to trust me and follow me. And I guess that's what I've been learning to do since... Uh, yeah, since those many years now, I'm walking with Jesus faithfully and, and uh, yeah, serving him in whatever capacity he calls me to. And was there a big change in your life after that commitment to Christ? Oh, yes, mate. Yeah, there was. People who knew me really well would say that there'd been a big change. You know, I'd, I was such a selfish person. I cared only for the moment, living for myself, taking for, from whoever was around me and not really caring about the consequences of that. But, you know, living like that, that selfish way of living, yeah. It, it just brought me to a place where I was friendless. I was ashamed of myself. I, uh, I had no sense of, of clear direction for my life. And, uh, yeah, I knew that I was not in a good place. And it was only, it was only listening to the voice of Jesus and, and realising that I, I needed to uh, just give up the reins because I'd made such a mess that, uh, that things started to fall back into place when he took control. And tell instead us, of me thinking, yeah. 
And tell us a bit about your early career. What kind of work were you doing at the time? Uh, all right. Um, serving my country, actually. I was in the Defence Force. And uh, so working down in the engine rooms of, of hot, noisy ships. And, and uh, yeah, so I grew up really with my hand on a spanner, uh, really enjoying you know, that, that physical sort of work and uh, tinkering with things, getting them running, keeping them running. And, uh, yeah, physical, practical sort of work. Um, really enjoyed it. And uh, I enjoyed the company that, that I did it with as well, you know, because it was with people. It's not the sort of stuff you do on your own. And uh, so I enjoyed the teamwork of, of working together. And uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed the, uh, the teamwork that comes with uh, being in a, in a career where people have to work together to make things work and uh, keep things uh, running smoothly and uh, yeah that, that's true for machinery it's true for the ministry as well which is what God actually led me into as I came to that end of uh, end of that naval career and, and beginning of of service for him it was uh, that was really the the access point was uh, leaving behind that that part of my life and surrendering my life to Jesus but you know what Matt that didn't happen overnight uh, it it happened through a crisis and uh, really having to lay lay everything down and saying, God, I've got no control here. But, uh, I need I need you to rescue and to bring hope in the middle of this difficult situation. Tell us about that crisis that you went through. It it, uh, it really is around a little girl who uh, who came into my wife and my life. Uh, she was born uh, with some severe congenital problems, and uh, she lived for five weeks. Her name is Jessica, and uh, she died in her mum's arms on Boxing Day in 1992. Mm. And uh, it was it was through that journey of walking walking with God and having absolutely no control over the, that situation mm. uh, that we just there. Well, Sonia and I both just laid laid our lives down and said, "God, whatever what you need us to do." I mean, you know, the, the faith questions weren't so much for Sonia. She she was faithfully walking with Jesus day by day, but for me, it was very much a I need to, uh, yeah, I need to stop pretending that I'm in control, and because uh, I really wasn't, but I was thinking that I was, and um, yeah, through that five weeks of uh, of walking with Jesus and and of walking with little Jessica, recognizing that um, even in the dark and hard spaces, that God doesn't abandon us; He doesn't turn His back on us, and uh, so that's that was really the the surrender moment for me of of saying, God, I'm. I'm going to trust you in this. I, I can't see a way out um, unless you make one. And, you know, faithfully he did. And, uh, yeah, restored uh, restored my heart and uh, taught me really what it means to, to love and, and serve people rather than just uh, be selfish and try to take from them. You know, I don't know how people make it through tough times without the Lord. And, you know, the good news is, you have a hope. You're going to see her again one day, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't doubt that for a moment. In fact, I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> that's going to be, I'm going to throw my arms around her and just give her a great big hug. I'm looking forward to that, I've got to tell you. <laughs> oh, um, wow. But yeah, you're right. You know, um, having hope is what everyone needs. Um, you know, whether it's going through a relationship issue or a health emergency or, or even just trusting God for the, the strength and, and the, the courage I need to face each day as it comes, you know, because we all face those pressures and temptations and trials in, every, in so many parts of our life. And it's only in, in discovering who, um, who Jesus is and how faithful he is 
that we uh, that we know and acknowledge uh, his goodness and that he is faithful. He never he never lets us go, mate. He never turns his back on us. And as you can hear, I'm in a very busy Melbourne street right now, so sorry about the quality of the sound. <laughs> That's all right, mate. Now, uh, let's just continue in your journey. Tell us a bit about your uh, first uh, entry into the ministry. What did you do then? Wow. Yeah, so the uh, the story really started in Gympie, uh, where my wife and I were living, and uh, God just very graciously... Um, did some work in our hearts and, and showed, I guess, through the uh, through the experience of, of Jessica's life and uh, and other other grief experiences that that we've been through as a couple, that there was um, there was an opportunity to to serve people and care for them and walk with them through that, that their experiences as well, and you know it was um, it was very quickly that uh, I realised just um, how much I needed. Some more specialist training, and so God led us to uh, to Adelaide, where we uh, uh, entered Bible College, and and we're uh, learning what it means to to be equipped for ministry and to uh, serve God in that. And uh, after Bible College, God led us to um, Sonia was praying that God would take us back to Queensland after our uh, our ministry training, and so God's got a real sense of humour, you know, and He showed that because uh, our first church was actually Mount Isa. Baptist Church, which is way out as far west in Queensland as you can get almost. And uh, we got to serve out there for the first couple of years in ministry, um, walking alongside people in all sorts of circumstances. Um, you know, Mount Isa is one of those isolated communities on the fringes. and It's, it's a busy place. It's, uh, it's filled with people who are there to work hard and, and to get ahead in life. It's also filled with people who are on the run from something uh, or are feeling isolated. And uh, there are a lot of Indigenous people out there that have, you know, circumstances and choices and, and uh, their history, their story, has just left such, such deep wounds and uh, some real heartache. And uh, they, they feel trapped by some of the, the circumstances in that. And so we were ministering across those different aspects of community and caring for people, learning a lot about ourselves and learning a lot about how to care for people as we find them and and to not walk into a situation th- assuming we know things, but uh, letting people's stories come out so that we can deal with the things that are, that are on their heart, not what we think they know or don't know. So that was that was really fascinating to be a part of that and to uh, to experience that journey. Uh, so we were there for a few years and uh, you know, caring for people, raising our family as well. Uh, God very graciously brought into our lives uh, some uh, extra little special packages that are now young adults in their own world. And uh, Sonia and I had the joy of sharing life with them and, and raising them, um, living by the same, you know, the same rules that, that we put on them, you know, just trying to live consistently in front of them and humbly and, uh, you know, watching them grow and uh, come to those points of saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus like you, like you do, Mum and Dad. And, uh, yeah, it's just... Praising God for His faithfulness and His goodness in the midst of that. Um, yeah, the middle of the middle of all of that though uh, was a change of ministry and a change of direction to a uh, an outer suburbs church in uh, in Brisbane where we served for eleven years, and uh, there was a real time there of consolidation in ministry and a focusing on uh, on equipping the next generation coming through. So that looked like camp ministry and discipleship and pre-marriage classes and all that sort of stuff as well as preaching the gospel at every opportunity and, and leading a church. And 
uh, stretching times. You know, I, I prayed, Matt, that God would uh, stretch me <laughs> as I began that call, and I had no idea what that would look like. That's <laughs> a dangerous prayer to pray, you know, looking back. But, but I see that God, um, even though I was being stretched in ways I couldn't possibly imagine and, and built up and given resources and, and a deeper insight and understanding, um, just again, his faithfulness in that, yeah, putting people alongside me, but they were just so gracious and compassionate and, and um, filled with capacity themselves so that they could share with me. And, and I was very much being forged as well as um, pouring into the lives of others. That's, of, uh, that's been my experience of, of a God who equips by, by the work of his spirit and uh, by life just changing us and developing us as we go and then others receiving from others as well as we walk together. And, uh, yeah, and that gave us a wonderful opportunity to uh, be part of his church uh, out there on the, other, on the outer suburbs. You know, brother, after 11 years of, uh, of pastoring in that church, um, yeah, we sensed that God was starting to uh, call us into a, a different aspect of ministry. And so that's, that's what happened. We ended up moving into an inner city church where I took on the role of associate pastor for mission. And, uh, you know, that was a wonderful time of uh, really getting into the ditches with people and uh, experiencing um, those pressures with them uh, and yet discovering just how faithful God is in the midst of that. And, uh, yeah, glad to say he, um, he kept opening doors for us. There was just continued opportunity to be, uh, to be about uh, ministry on the edges of society, ministry on the, edge, on the fringes uh, where, where people don't come to church so much but they'll come and be a part of community events or they'll come and um, spend time at a work party where we're doing like a community renewal or something like that. And um, yeah, those conversations can lead into fascinating places where people, once they realise you you actually care about me, they'll start to actually tell you their story. And um, yeah, I really learned to listen carefully to people through those experiences. And tell us how you got involved with the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. Yeah, well, it was exactly out of that, uh, that reality at, uh, in this inner city church where uh, after the 2011 floods came through here in Brisbane and the, uh, the work that was done there by our local church and many other community groups as part of that, uh, there was a visit from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Rapid Response Team uh, director, a guy called Jack, who came to Brisbane and uh, met with church leaders uh, with, with hopes, I think, of, of creating an opportunity for some dialogue and discussion around equipping the church for the crises that will, will never make the news, but it's, it's overwhelming for, for the individual who goes through it, like a relationship breakdown or bad news in the medical world or, or, a, or a job termination or um, you know, death in the family or something like that. For the person going through it, it's a crisis. It's overwhelming and it, it can reduce you know, anyone. To, to fear and to, uh, to wondering, well, what comes next? And so Jack really raised this question of, well, church, what are you doing to, to equip your people? You know, the pastors can't be everywhere, but the church is spread across the city. So let's equip the church to be those emotional and spiritual first aiders in, in their communities, in their workplaces, in their neighbourhoods. And uh, so I was sitting listening to this, this presentation and, and God just really lit a fire in my heart, you know, that uh, here was an opportunity to, uh, to invest into these crisis space, but to do it to empower people, to equip them, 
and to give them uh, tools to be able to stand alongside their neighbours and their colleagues and their friends and their family when those worst day happen. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up hosting the training and uh, God just kept pushing doors open. And before I knew it, the, uh, there were opportunities for me to be involved uh, in, a, uh, in a disaster crisis response to the Bundaberg flood in 2013. And uh, that really opened the, the doorway to, uh, to what I'm doing now full-time in managing the, the rapid response team here in Australia and uh, deploying chaplains into crisis and uh, as well as training and equipping uh, the church across Australia as I have those opportunities uh, in leading a one-day seminar that, that is really an emotional spiritual first aid course for people who can, um, in the church who can come and, and be equipped to, to be able to care for their friends and their neighbours when those worst day happens. They don't need to call the pastor. Uh, they just need to learn how to listen appropriately and uh, to understand what crisis and trauma do to people uh, so that they uh, can, with some degree of confidence, can step in those spaces and simply listen and be a support and a carer. Now, we can hear the traffic in the background now and you are actually on the scene where there was a terrorist incident in Melbourne recently. Uh, tell yeah. us what you're doing on the ground right now. Uh, so I'm actually about, I'm at the top end of Burke Street near the Parliament there. I'm about 100 metres away from uh, the restaurant that was owned by that gentleman, Sisto, uh, uh, and his restaurant's name is, uh, is Pellegrini's. It's a bit of a landmark down here in Melbourne, and uh, if you've seen across social media over the weekend, you'll know that many, many people have visited his little restaurant, a walk-in restaurant there at the top end of Burke Street. And... Um, yeah, he was just out doing some stuff in the middle of the street and then the, there was the incident where this guy crashed his car, set it on fire and, and uh, Sisto went to assist him. And uh, this, this guy did not, uh, did not need assistance. He was out to attack and to cause harm. And unfortunately, Sisto lost his life in responding to, uh, to uh, what he thought was a fellow Melbourneian in a time of need, but it was actually an attack. And so I jumped on a plane on Saturday morning, on Saturday afternoon, and I came down on the radio, uh, came down to talk to, uh, to chaplains and to people in the street and just pray with them, love on them, support them, let them talk and hear what's going on uh, as they uh, come and stand around the memorial, share their thoughts, their, their insights. And uh, that's been a real privilege just to care for people and to do that in a very personal and individual way. And what's the mood like so, there today? Yeah, it's really sombre, mate. There's, um, there's people just standing quietly. There's Red Cross volunteers and Victorian Council of Churches uh, crisis response chaplains that are just sitting uh, in the crowd and walking amongst people, uh, giving them someone that they can talk to as well. Uh, but people are coming. There's lots of flowers being left behind, messages of support and love uh, being taped to the windows of the, uh, of the restaurant. And, um, yeah, Melbourne's... Melburnians are here to care for one another. Um, the police are ever-present. People are walking up to the police and, and just thanking them for their support and for how much they value their presence. And they're um, also, um, yeah, just there for each other. And uh, so my role here uh, this week is, um, well, I'm really being a bit of a prayer warrior in the background, um, praying for the chaplains that they'll, they'll know who to speak to and how to talk and meeting with church leaders and talking with them about the crisis and the response, but also asking them that question about uh, what, is, what does it mean? What does it look like for you to, uh, to equip your church 
so that when those worst days happen on the individual basis, um, how can your church people be involved? So there's two sides to what I'm doing. I'm, I'm building relationships and liaising with local church leaders, and I'm um, showing my respect and, and supporting people down here at Pellegrino's on Burke Street. Well, it's great to hear that uh, there's a bunch of Christian chaplains there caring and reaching out to, uh, to people uh, on the scene there. And I know you don't just do it uh, in uh, you know, inner city areas. I know you're out in the outback where there's uh, droughts and mm. floods and fires and all sorts of uh, crisis around our nation. I know you guys do a lot of great work. And uh, Stuart, I reckon you're a history maker, mate. Thanks for joining us. God bless you, mate. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.